Here we go on a Sunday morning in Las Vegas. I'm Spencer the Wiz filling in for Brian Feldman, although Brian will be joining us on the show shortly for some time. We are here live every Sunday morning at 8 on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights and sister station of Raider Nation Radio. I'm coming to you live from the my studio known as the Wiz Den, and also part of the show, producer Chris Magnum Chapman is manning the big board back at the Lotus Broadcasting Building in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. Max also serves as a locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights radio network and the pre-pregame show host of our other sister station, ESPN Radio Las Vegas. Joining me in a moment is Chris Wynn again, a longtime radio voice in the Las Vegas Valley. Adeline's show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live, Twitter, and YouTube. The page is called, is named after the show, Adeline, that's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Twitter at Adeline Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing a home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details and to get information on all the home financing options available in Nevada. On tap, the Vegas Golden Knights have a weird three-game stand last week at home, and yet are still on top of the Pacific Division. UNLV basketball has now done something they have not accomplished since 1990. UNLV football has a new head coach. We'll talk about that. And Brittany Griner is now back on American soil. And finally, don't place your football bets until after you have heard today's pick and parlay from the scooper. That's what's on tap. If you're looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust. Residential Bank Corp. Funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details on your home financing options. All right, let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to introduce everybody before we go into Nightcap. That uh, group of people is going to be Chris Wynn and Brian Feldman. Well, Brian, welcome back to the show. First, I'll say it's nice to see you. Hope you're having a good time. Oh, guys, great, great to be great to be in Vegas. I always enjoy uh, getting out of town once in a while, but great to be uh, be be uh, be on the show. Also, Mr. Spencer doing a great job. And of course, my good friend Chris Wynn filling in, man, just one of the best guys you'll meet in Las Vegas. Guy does. Uh, you can't get away from him if you want to, because he's on every damn radio station around, but uh, just does a great job. There's a reason for that. It's because of the job that he does and the person that he is. And Chris, uh, as always, great friend of mine. I really appreciate you sitting in and helping uh, Spencer out while in my absence, man. Yeah, I appreciate the kind words, Brian. Of course, good to be with you, Wiz and Mags as well. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed on a Sunday, baby, because it's uh, another one of those uh, jam-packed, Las Vegas sports weekends and extended weekends, obviously, with the Raiders playing on Thursday night in Los Angeles. So, uh, no question, got a lot to talk about, guys. So much has happened since I've been gone. Oh, sorry, Magnum. We got it. We got to ask how Magnum's doing. We can't just go straight into it. We got to know how producers (laughs) doing back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. Yeah, all all, all good here on my end. Uh, You know, it's uh, just another weekend. Uh, had a nice day yesterday. Watched watched France beat England, and then uh, Patty Pimblett takes care of business. 
in the octagon. So a, a big, big weekend, or big, big Saturday, I should say, for Liverpool because England lost and hometown kid Patty Pimblett takes a gets another W in the UFC. So uh, good Saturday for me, and uh, now looking forward to see what Sunday holds. What were you saying, Brian? Oh, no, no. I was just saying, uh, you know, just so much went on this past weekend and just good to hear all your voices. But this past week that I've been gone, amazing how much has happened. Uh, UNLV has a new head football coach. UNLV basketball remaining undefeated, which is just absolutely incredible, um, you know, to this point in time. And not going to say there's just monster wins, but, you know, to be one of the very few undefeated teams left in the country at this point has been pretty cool. And, uh, man, the Vegas Golden Knights um, continue to surprise and more more of a positive way the negative so just been been pretty cool and then as chris said the world cup man you know so many upsets you know this is the time every four years that i really get into soccer and uh, down here you know where i'm at now it's uh it's huge and um you know it just it's really cool to go out and experience something when you're in a different country and how you know it's almost saddens me to see how much when you see them partying in the streets, the only time you ever see anything like that in the U.S. is maybe for a victory parade when someone wins a championship and the parade the next day. But the actual winning only takes place in an individual city. I mean, you see what's going on in like individual countries like, you know, like Argentina. You know, I mean, my God in heaven. I mean, there was no room in the streets everywhere. And you really see the pride they have and how much it means to them. And guys, I got to tell you, man, it, it, it saddens me. That, that us in the United States, you know, uh, a country that, that represents freedom and capitalism and democracy. And, and, and yet here we are, uh, we, we just don't, we don't, we don't unite like that. We don't unite like other countries that we put ourselves above in a lot of cases. And it really, it, it warms my heart and sands me at the same time, but boy, has it been cool. And I know well, let's I'll let Spencer get into it. But the last thing I want to say to Chris Chapman is uh, a man, you know, Really hats off to Japan. I know you guys were really pulling them forward for your wife's team. It was a really cool thing to see them advance out of pool play, especially with the strength of that the pool they had to come out of. They get beat by Costa Rica, which was a shock. Everyone, of course, down here loved that. But then they still are able to, to, to navigate through teams like, you know, Spain and Germany. That's unbelievable. So hats off to the Japanese, man. Just a huge, huge thing for them. I can imagine, even though they didn't get out of pool play, I'd imagine. I mean, they didn't get out of the the the, the first round um, after pool play. To get out of pool play is just such a magnificent accomplishment for them. It was really cool. But, Spence, I'm done talking, man. I'll let you go from here. All right. Sounds good. We'll talk more about the World Cup next week when you're officially back because that's when things are getting into the real nitty-gritty. But here locally, there's one team that we all love, and that's the Vegas Golden Knights. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Yeah, and uh, I'll just quickly go over my notes on the Golden Knights before I pass the baton over. So a little bit of a review. The Golden Knights went 2-1 and one last week since last show, and two of those happened to be in overtime. But, man, that Boston game was such a mess, and I'm sure you guys will have a lot of thoughts on that. But to take a 3-0 lead in the second period and then end up being into, going into overtime, you give up two periods in the second period, and then you give up one in the third and just unanswered goals. That just doesn't seem like the formula for a Stanley Cup winning team, and it is a regular season game, and I tend to be overdramatic for a lot of things, but that, that game was kind of weird to me. It was nice that they got the extra point in overtime, so it's kind of like no harm, no foul, but 
man, he just don't think that dominant teams would give up such a big goal lead. And, you know, Boston's like one of the best teams in the league. So that's definitely a part of it. But that game kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But I would say that that Rangers game was really rough. I mean, to go tied 1-1 going into third period and then to give up four goals, that, that's, again, just, I don't know what, if you want to call it goalie play or defensive play, but there's something like off and, and the power play. You want to talk about that last game against the Flyers. There was a power play that they had in that game where I think the Flyers had more possession than they did with one less man. They were playing in the Golden Knights offensive zone for about 30, maybe 40 seconds. It was excruciating to watch, and they snuck away against a bad team in that one with the win. Thanks to Jonathan Marsh, who has just incredible goal, you know, to get into uh, to kind of sneak that past the goalie there. But before I go too far into it, I'll ask you guys, I'll start with uh, Chris Wynn. You can tell me what your thoughts I don't know, maybe on the Flyers game or these last three games, just something you've seen from the Golden Knights as of recent, you know, what your thoughts on the team? Well, it was rough sledding, obviously, on Wednesday. You got a game there that's 1-1, and then all of a sudden the third period comes around, and it was pretty much awful if you were uh, Vegas Golden Knights faithful in that third period against the uh, Rangers. But, hey, when you got uh, a guy between the pipes that's arguably, uh, you know, one of the best goaltenders in the world, and is uh, is going to be for a while. Uh, I guess it's you know it's understandable that Vegas is not able to get really uh, um, able to tally a goal there in that third period. But that being said, uh, they're able to bounce back on Friday against the likes of a Flyer. Look, this is a Philadelphia Flyers team that's not one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference this season. And uh, nail biting time, I guess, right for all the uh, the VGK faithful out there to uh, be able to get a win in overtime. And now you got the uh, matchup against the Bruins. Uh, I think you're talking whiz about the uh, Pittsburgh game. I think it was the, one, the game you're referring to as far as uh, the dumpster fire-ish game that uh, took place. And then they, they're, but they were able to get the win in Boston against the Bruins as Bruce Cassidy is able to go back home and get the victory. But uh, now you got the rematch and you get an, an opportunity for the Bruins to come here, to come West for the first time this season they only come obviously it's an eastern conference team so you're only going to see it for a second time i believe but uh interesting game to see probably the top two of the top teams in the nhl go at it on a sunday late afternoon here in vegas it could be a possible preview to a stanley cup final uh you know we don't want to get too too far ahead of ourselves but it creates all kinds of intrigue having uh the boston bruins come into town and take on the golden knights today Brian, I know you are out of town. I don't know, you know, if you've been able to watch these games. Probably not. It's very difficult. I'm a, I would imagine to watch hockey in a different country. But uh, just maybe your thoughts on the Golden Knights as of recent. I know you've been, you've obviously watched every single game, like pretty much going up into this stretch of games this week. So maybe some of your current thoughts on the Golden Knights as they stand right now. Yeah, I've actually been really fortunate. One of the friends that I'm down here with, uh, we're, we're watching the highlights and uh, we were sitting, matter of fact, we were sitting at a club the other night, or I should say after a restaurant, watching an amazing, one of the most amazing bands I've seen, um, two Latin women that performed uh, all American songs. And I mean, it, it, for everything from ACDC to Leonard Skinner, it was just insane and uh, really cool. But we're watching the whole time while they were performing on the TV, it was the NHL Network. So I got really in tune with everything and I'm kind of fixated on that. Um, um, you know, guys, they are—they have the, the third best record in the NHL, the best record in the Western Conference. This team continues to find ways to win games. Maybe it, it, games they shouldn't, they shouldn't allow, you know, no question. Great point um, about the comeback uh, by the Bruins that almost led to a loss, but they got the win, Spencer. And, and 
one one adage in sports that I've heard my entire life is good teams win the close games. You'll see uh, one-point games, one-score games. You know, the Golden Knights find ways to win games that when you think they're going to lose them or maybe they've given up. And, yeah, they've got to w- find a way to shore up third period, allowing goals in the third <laughs> period. And there's yeah. no question in the Flyers game, which I did watch, um, wow, that goal given up by Aiden Hill was 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 brutal. It was brutal, and, and, it, and it nearly cost them the hockey game. Um, you know, and, and that can't happen. That was the Mark Andre Fleury esque against the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, you know, granted it's a regular season game, but you just can't, you can't, you, you can't nonchalant a puck. You've got to make sure you know what you're doing with the puck. You got to look up and make a solid pass to your goaltender trying to work the stick. So I was a little bit upset about that. And those are things that are going to have to work on. We've known that goaltending could potentially down the road become an, a little bit of an issue simply because of the lack of experience of the guys in the net. Not that they're not good enough, not that they're both NHL goaltenders, not that both of them could still succeed to become possibly great goaltenders in the NHL. I don't know about that, but again, it's too early to tell. But the point is, experience at some point is going to come into play, especially as you get towards the postseason. The game picks up, and you know, Chris and I, and I say to all of us, you know, but we've been following this game for a long time, being from Hockey Town. And the one thing, yep. you know, that, that, that you know, you have to be somewhat is consistent. You've got to you've got to win the close games, but the key is you've got to have goaltending. We've watched being a Red Wings fan. I watched years ago as a young man, a guy named um, uh, what the um, oh, Arthur's Urbe of the of the Sharks come in. The, 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 the yeah. Red Wings win the President's Cup, and Arthur's Urbe decides he's not going to let a puck in the net in the postseason. The Wings couldn't do anything against the Sharks. It was just it was it was hard to watch as a Wings fan to see this team that was a juggernaut all season. So the point is. Goaltending is huge, and that we, we you the one thing you know for sure is the game picks up in the postseason as fast as the NHL is, which it is the fastest sport in the world next to auto racing. I mean, you 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 see this elevation in the playoffs, and goaltending has to elevate as well to accommodate the elevation of the other you know the the the, the players on the ice that are skating and trying to score. So. Aiden Hill and, and uh, Logan Thompson have zero experience of that. That, to me, is going to play a role. But I, I went off into a long soliloquy because I was disappointed in seeing that type of a play. Those things have to be thwarted before they happen. That cannot happen at the highest level of hockey, period. However, as you mentioned, Spencer, Jonathan Marceau gets gets the game winner with a little over a minute to go in overtime. Exciting as hell. And, you know, I want to talk about that. Jonathan Marceau, you want to talk about him in the all-time leading scorer for the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, this guy has been nothing but a rock and a journeyman before that, a guy that almost gave up his dreams to play in the NHL at one point. We've all met Jonathan. We've seen him. He's a little guy. I mean, he's yeah. in great shape. He's he's yoked for a guy that's five foot nine, but I mean, he's still five foot nine and playing at the highest level and playing tremendously well, having as good of a season as we could have ever hoped this guy would have. And I think it's going to continue. Mark so still seems to have an upside left in his career. I pray the Golden Knights lock this guy down and keep him around. And then you know, how about William Carrier? I remember joking around about William Carrier the first time I saw him in the locker room, like, holy crap, look at the size of this guy. I mean, William Carrier is a big dude. It's not height-wise that he's big. He is just, you can tell this guy spends a lot of time in the gym when he's not on skates. And, uh, you know, and I always said, I, 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 I use the movie Mystery Alaska with the, 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 when Russell Crowe goes up to the guy that was the big, you know, supposedly an Eskimo and he says, you know, you're a big guy. Great. 
It's Tree yeah, Mark Feldman. You're a big guy, and he's shoving him, and he's getting him mad. Yeah. I said, someone needs to do that to carry and remind him, Bill, you're a big guy, man. And yeah. you know what? It's not so much his physical presence, although you can see when people mix it up with Will, he probably throws his one one little shove, like, whoa, he's really strong, and they back off a little bit. But the key to Will is, you know, for up until this year, he's had that one patented move, the wraparound. And I think everyone kind of had the book on that move. And, you know, you know when Will Carrier gets the puck behind the net, you know what he's going to do? He's not going to throw it out front or try to hit a guy in the slot. He's going to wrap around. Will's changed his game. He's morphed. And he is now scoring from the slot. He is now getting in front of the net. He is becoming a force, and he's imposing his strength. And it's equated to nine goals to this point in the season, having his best season ever in the NHL. And we got a long way to go, guys. William Carrier, I mean, it might be a stretch. William Carrier could be a 20-goal scorer this year, which would blow my mind if he was able to accomplish that. So hats off to uh, William Jonathan Marcel for being great staples. And, by the way, two original uh, misfits. And that, that's really cool that those guys are still going strong and improving as we're into, you know, year five with the Vegas Golden Knights. All right. And going on to now to producer Chris Magnum Chapman to give his thoughts on the Vegas Golden Knights. Well, I, I, I think a lot of what's been brought up is, is you know, close to being accurate. Um, look, the Boston game last week, I, it, to me, it, it, it doesn't matter, right? Look, you're up 3 nothing against the Bruins. You're missing Alex Petrangelo. You're missing Jack Eichel in that game. The Boston Bruins, clearly one of the best teams in the NHL, probably one of the favorites to win the Stanley Cup. They're just so good in a lot of different areas, obviously very solid in net. Uh, Jim Montgomery has stepped in for for our guy here, Bruce Cassidy, and done an amazing job. I mean, when you look at the injuries that the Boston Bruins have had to start the season, you know, Brad Marchand, maybe their best player, he was missing for, for the first few weeks. They had a couple of injuries on the blue line. Uh, look, David Pasternak, my 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 thoughts are how he's never in the MVP discussion is completely mind blowing to me because he's clearly one of the best players in the NHL year in year out. Not going to find too many guys more consistent than Pasta. So look, the the Golden Knights get out to a three nothing lead in that game in Boston, an emotional game. Obviously, Bruce Cassidy's return to Beantown, but you know, the, the, at the end of the day, you you knew that the Bruins were not going to just roll over. They're too damn good to just roll over and. You know, I'm not surprised that they made a push, but at the end of the day, the Golden Knights get the two points in that one. You don't really care that the Bruins get the consolation point because you, you don't have to worry about them in, in the uh, the Eastern Conference. Obviously, very different divisions. Look, Wednesday night was, was bad. Um, but I think it was to be expected, you know, based on some of the comments. And, and, and Chris and, and Brian, you guys are, are in a group text with me, and I read you the quote that I had from Mark Stone following... When the Golden Knights came home off of that that uh, five game win streak, when they went on the road the last time, about how it's hard to adjust because of of the time zone and the time change, and you know even though you're you're home for less than forty eight hours, there's still an adjustment on your body because a seven o'clock game here in Vegas is ten o'clock on the East Coast. I think it was a little bit different for the Rangers, right? Because they weren't coming off of the emotional high of winning. Uh, uh, for what? What do they get? Six out of eight points on the road. You know, for the Rangers, they came east, but they were coming from home. So it's a little bit of a different mindset, I think. But I mean, look, the Flyers. That's exactly the game that that, that Philadelphia wanted to play. John Tortorella. He's not exactly a guy who, whose teams light the lamp up. He he uglies the game up. The Golden Knights fell into it. The power play was was I, I don't want to say good. It was it was just basically meh. Uh, that's an area that they got to improve on. But look, Jack Eichel banged up a little bit. Obviously, you could see 
that he was he was not 100% in that game. Um, you know, and he, he you can see the frustration with Jack Eichel. Alex Petrangelo, we know that he's dealing with a, a, a personal matter, a family illness, based on what the Golden Knights have tweeted out. They've removed him from the active roster, so I think he's probably going to be out for a while. Uh, and look, tonight you're, you're, you're going to be missing Shea Theodore from everything it sounds like. So this is not going to be an easy game tonight for the Golden Knights. In fact, I, I, I think if, if I was looking at it from a, from a betting perspective, I might look at the Bruins. I know they're favored in the game, which is really strange for the Golden Knights to be a, a home dog. But the Bruins are just a damn good team. You know, they're well coached. They're really, really good. And then the Golden Knights head out on the road next week before they, they return home for the holidays. So, you know, this is an important stretch. Obviously, you want to be playing well heading into the new year. Uh, but look, I, I'm, I'm not too concerned about the things. They're, they're playing through some adversity right now. Uh, I think the main concern for me is the third line. There's zero consistency on that third line, and a lot has to do with the fact that you, you're, you're not getting good play from the guys who have been the, the stalwarts on that third line. Michael Amadio is, is a healthy scratch. Brett Howden is banged up. He's out. Uh, you know, if you listen to, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna specifically say, but if if you who who he's talking about, but if you listen to Bruce Cassidy's last two press conferences, I think it's pretty clear he's telegraphing that somebody in the bottom six needs to step up and play better. The fans, you go back and listen to those press conferences, and you can make your own opinion on it. But I think a clear message is being sent to somebody who's been playing on that third line, and that person needs to step their game up. This person is, is 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 I think clearly being singled out by Bruce Cassidy, and hopefully it works. Uh, we'll we'll see. But you know, like I said, the fans go back listen to both of those pressers. You can find them on on the you know the Golden Knights Twitter page, and and maybe you can catch what I'm what I'm talking about. But I I'm I I strongly feel based on the comments that he's made that a message is being sent to somebody that they need to be a lot better. He made it pretty clear against the Rangers because he named a bunch of guys that he was not disappointed with. And then Friday night, he he kind of sent another you know signal to someone in the bottom six that their play needs to be a lot better. Yeah, I, I heard that, Chris, real quickly. I want to, you know, I just want to say I absolutely love Bruce Cassidy. What a great hire this has turned out to be. This guy just fits the mold of, I think, everything Vegas, as far as high, Vegas hockey goes. And what, what a great hire. And, you know, I mean, there's motivation for him against Boston. So regardless, Shea Theater being out is a huge hit. And I, and I agree with you from a betting standpoint, I would like the Bruins too. I see Chris Wynn's mind thinking up there to the way he's going to go tonight. But, uh, but the yeah. truth of the matter is, you know, just don't forget it's Bruce Cassidy's former team and and these games probably mean as much to him as any game on the schedule all year when you go up against your former squad. So I look for it to be a competitive game, and it wouldn't shock me if the Vegas Golden Knights won. And I say that because I expect the Boston Bruins to win the game tonight, but but it wouldn't shock me at all if the Vegas Golden Knights won. And one other thing I want to say about hockey, and I know Spencer wants to move on to keep things rolling, but I will say this. Wow, I don't know if you saw the game between the the, the – um, the uh, Minnesota Wild and the Edmonton Oilers a couple nights ago. But Leon Dreisaitl, man, this guy, I mean, he's a tremendous hockey player, a top 10 player in the NHL. I mean, him and 
I, I don't know that there's a better two-person on a single line in the NHL than Leon Dreisaitl and, of course, Connor McDavid. But I don't know if you saw just viciously starting a fight with Marc-Andre Fleury. This guy is like hitting everyone this year. I think Leon Dreisaitl is tired of this team not getting to where he feels, and I think Connor McDavid and probably all of Edmonton feels they should be at. And he has now become an enforcer in the National Hockey League. And I'll tell you what. He, if he continues what he's doing and the way he's being his physicality, hell, man, he could be end up being one of the greatest enforcers in the history of the game. And I say that only because not a guy that's going to go out and fight every day, but because he's he's imposing his his physicality, but he's still a tremendous goal scorer and one of the best setup guys in all of hockey right now. So he imposes physicality. How valuable is that to your team? Not that I like what he's doing. He looks like he's a bit chippy out there, but I just think he's like, man, I'm tired of this. We've got me, you know, we've got, we've got Connor McDavid, the best player in the NHL. We've got me. Let's go win something here, guys. And I think that's kind of his attitude, but I like to see it in the same respect. Keep it clean, Leon. But I never thought I'd be saying keep it clean to Leon Dreisaitl, man. That's surprising me. Go ahead, Spence. Take over. I just wanted to get those points in. Yes, Brian, and I, and I know uh, you do have to go soon, so I want to get to one topic that I really want to get your opinion on because it's very important, very timely, and that is that UNLV does have a new head coach, UNLV football, I'm talking about. That'd be pretty crazy if Cro Coach Kevin Kruger goes on quite the streak here and gets fired, but no. UNLV football has a new head coach, and it's longtime Missouri coach. She's the head coach for a long time, hasn't been in the last couple of years. Barry Odom, uh, he did take them to two bowl games, and yes, and the calling card seems to be, oh, he played in the SEC. No, he played in the SEC East, okay? Wasn't playing against Alabama. Wasn't playing against Old Miss, okay? This is a Missouri head coach. And, look, you got there's some credit to going to two pole games because UNLV hasn't gone to one in a very long time since Caleb Herring, as we all know. I, this is just another hire to me. I, I mean, and this, it gets more embarrassing because Ed Ogeron was supposedly in talks, right? A real head coach. I mean, a guy who – that's what you want. I was like, oh, Ed Ogeron, they're in talks with him. they got to give him anything. And not only does it not come out to be Ed Ogeron, it comes out to be Barry Odom. It comes out that Ed Ogeron denies the reports and says he is not interested in the job. I mean, that is just how sad this program is, that a head coach who is pretty much looking for a job right now, who deserves a job, gets into the conversation of UNLV, denies the allegation and says, no, I don't want to coach there. I mean, that's just the state of UNLV football as it is. I mean, this is just another dude to me. I mean, I hate to be rude, and obviously you have to really pass judgment until you see him play, but this is not This is nothing to me. I, I don't know how you feel about that, Brian. I'll, I'll let you go first. Uh, you know, Spencer, I got to tell you, I am, uh, I am surprised at Eric Harper. I'm surprised at UNLV. Not that I think this is a bad, a bad hire. I, I don't – you know, I mean – you know, he did a decent job at Missouri. You know, he was, like you said, Spencer is the head coach of Missouri for, uh, you know, three seasons. Um, you know, he, he, he's, last couple of years, he's been the assistant head coach at Arkansas. Uh, I, I, I am a little bit perplexed. I just think the, the word that I'll use is it was a very quick hire. They didn't want to ponder on this. They didn't want to let it go. They didn't want to wait on it and all this. I don't think they wanted to spend the money on an extensive search because they knew they were going to have to pay the coach and they got to pay Marcus Arroyo some money, but God almighty guys, uh, uh, Chris, when I don't know how you feel about it, bro, but my, my biggest problem is, is again, the speed 
Come on, take your time. And to say that Ed Ogeron wasn't interested, Spencer, I'm not sure he's the greatest hire. I like Ed Ogeron. I think he's a good coach. I don't I don't know that he was given a, a fair shake at the end. Um, but but the point is, is that's really shocking to hear with him denying it, denying it and saying, I never said I wasn't interested. But Barry Odom, I mean, in a couple weeks, Chris, is that cool? I was a little bit surprised, to be quite honest with you, to say that uh, it didn't light my pants on fire. The hire would be an understatement. Look, Barry Odom very well might turn out to be a, a decent head coach here at UNLV, but there's a lot of boxes that don't get checked with him getting hired here. One of them, and in my humble opinion, as someone who's covered college football for a long time and uh, been here in Vegas for close to 20 years, to be successful in the Mountain West and on the West Coast, you got to be able to recruit the West Coast, and you got to be able to keep – kids in vegas the three four stars sometimes two stars are getting coached up right here at unlv that's a big time thing in my opinion for this program to kind of elevate itself and into relevance when it comes to college football Barry, unfortunately barry doesn't check any of those boxes now look obviously during his press conference and 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 in the, in the last 48 hours or so had a chance to talk to some coaches, talk to Mike Davis, the head coach here with the Vegas Nighthawks, who has some mutual friends that have coached with him and worked with him. And he has had said some positive things regarding every player that, that Barry has coached pretty much has said they love playing for the guy. So that's, that's something that's going to be a positive for him coming in here. But from a recruiting standpoint, he is obviously going to have to hire assistants that have familiarity with the West Coast recruiting situation, uh, recruiting California, obviously, and recruiting on this side of the country. And he's going to have to find a way with, through those coaches to, to keep kids here in Vegas. Just keep the hands up. Look, we understand you're not going to keep the five-star kids here. You're not going to keep the Steven Jacksons, you know, uh, you know, guys like that who are going to go to power five schools or you know, big-time Division One programs. But they got to be able to find a way to, to keep those kids that want to you know, play in front of their family, that want to stay in Vegas. And with the shifting landscape in college football, right, where UNLV is really going to be on the if, – if they're able to get back to respectability, they're going to be in the discussion with, with the Big 12 and with the Pac-12 and moving into one of those conferences. And that – I don't know how that all fits either with Barry Odom as the head coach here. Is he the guy that's going to be – you know, the face of the program, the tip of the spear when it comes to dealing with that situation. So, again, I was not overly excited about the hire. Uh, I'll use a term that I used with Kevin Kruger when he was hired here at UNLV, and that's cautiously optimistic. That's the way I feel regarding this hire at Barry Odom. But much like you, Brian, and I'm sure Mags and, and well, Wiz, Wiz, Wiz uh, tell us how you re really feel, my brother, about how you feel about this hire. Uh, I'm not overly over the hill, uh, overjoyed by the hire initially here. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I just say that the, the, the you know, I like what you said. I think the, the key to a head coach I'd like to see more of is local recruiting. You know, a few yeah. years ago, a guy named Donnell Pumphrey got away from Nevada and went and tore it up and became the all-time leading rusher for a minute in the Mountain West Conference at San Diego State. 
that shouldn't happen. That should never happen. And I hope that Barry Odom comes in with that focus and comes in with a focus, embracing the community. And for God's sakes, I hope he comes on local talk shows and doesn't feel that he's too big for that. The one thing we do know is he's got a linebacker mentality, Spencer, because he was a linebacker when he played college football at Missouri. All right, I, I have to ask an alumni, Magnum. What's uh, what's your opinion on this uh, exciting Barry Odom hire? Well, I I think Chris kind of summed a, a lot of it up. You know, I mean, I I think underwhelming is is probably a, a good word to use. Um, look, the reality of the situation is we we here in Vegas see this all the time. The fan base, whether it's basketball or football. They seem to think that UNLV is much bigger than than it is. The reality is yeah. UNLV football is an insignificant speck in the landscape of college football. Ed Ogeron was never coming to UNLV. Deion Sanders was never coming to UNLV. Why? Because UNLV has never shown that they are fully committed 100% to UNLV football. That goes on the president of the school the previous presidents of the school. And look, maybe the new guy is completely different. I have no idea. Look, he's only been there a, a short amount of time. But you can go back to my days at, at the school. Outside of John Robinson, this is a school that has never shown that they are committed to football. And that could that could fall on a lot of people. Maybe that's on the boosters. I don't know. Because basketball has always been the king here. The reality is now basketball and football are, are struggling to make a, a a dent in the landscape here in Las Vegas because as the program has been stuck in neutral or going backwards in some cases, both programs, we have seen professional major league sports come to Las Vegas and not only play games here, but become highly successful. The Raiders made the playoffs last year. The Golden Knights made the Stanley Cup final in their first year, have been a playoff team for the last five years. The reality is, is these teams continue to get better. And if the Oakland A's come here and the NBA comes here, it's going to become even more difficult for UNLV to keep up. A, because they haven't done anything in the last decade on the hardwood or on the field to warrant people spending their money to come watch this program or these programs. Look, I think Kevin Kruger is doing a a phenomenal job. But the reality is, the two best programs on Maryland Parkway are the women's volleyball team and the women's basketball team. And unfortunately, those are not really revenue sports. So, you know, Lindy LaRock is doing an amazing job, and she's probably setting herself up to become a coach at, I don't know, maybe maybe her alma mater. I mean, is that too far of a stretch? The women's volleyball program has been very, very successful the last couple of years. The men's golf program is, has, has a national title, and they've been really, really good. The reality is the basketball team and the football team have a long way to go before big-time, big-name coaches take any interest in this job. Uh, maybe the basketball team has a little bit of a, of a, of a head start on the football team. Look, I, I, I don't know if, if Barry Odom is going to be a good coach or a bad coach. I know he went 500 in the SEC with Missouri. For what I've read, he took over a reclamation project at Mizzou, which was his alma mater. Uh, obviously Gary Pinkle was, a, was an amazing, amazing football coach. He was really good at Toledo. He went to Missouri, had them playing really, really well. Uh, if I remember correctly, they actually denied Kansas an opportunity. Who, who would have thought Missouri and Kansas having, having a game a couple years ago, back, back, I guess about a decade ago where, uh, when Aqib Tlaib was playing for the Jayhawks, 
It was Missouri that prevented them from playing for a national title. You believe that Kansas could have played for a national title, but it was Gary Pinkle's <laughs> Missouri that 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 yeah. prevented that from happening. So Barry Odom took over a, a a program because Gary Pinkle had some health issues. He had to step away. He took over a program that really w- w- was was in turmoil, uh, and and he did a, a a decent job. I mean, I don't think it was good enough by SEC standards. But look, you go twenty five and twenty five at UNLV. They're probably building you a damn statue in front of the football stadium. The reality is this is a program that, that in, I've lived in Vegas since 1999. They have struggled pretty much every year since I moved here. Outside of the, the John Robinson year where they went to a bowl game and they beat Arkansas and, and Jason Thomas was being hyped as a Heisman candidate the following year. Unfortunately, that ended really quickly because they, they, they blew a game against Arkansas on the road in Fayetteville. Uh, ironically, Barry Odom coming to UNLV from Arkansas. Funny how we come full circle there. But and then you had the Bobby Houck year where they made the bowl game. Other than that, UNLV football has been it's it's been it's been a dumpster fire. You it doesn't matter. They have tried every single approach to try to get this program going in the right direction. They've tried the the, the big time coordinator who came from our Urban Myers coaching tree and Mike Sanford. That was a failure. They tried the hot up-and-coming FCS coach who had had a ton of success at Montana and Bobby Houck. That was a failure. They brought in the big-time high school football coach. I'm not going to say that was a failure because whether or not Tony Sanchez won or lost on the field, what he got done off the field was was a win for UNLV. They tried the, the uh, another up-and-coming coordinator from a, uh, a P5 school in Marcus Royo. That did not work. Now they're going with a, a guy with head coaching experience. Look, the name Barry Odom might be underwhelming to fans, but he checked all the boxes as far as what UNLV was looking for. The one knock I will make is something that Chris alluded to, and Brian as well. Without any ties to the West Coast, zero California ties, zero Nevada ties, I don't think, you know, he, the guy's never coached west of, of, of Columbia, Missouri. So... That's about a thousand miles away. There's a, there's a lot of land between Columbia, Missouri, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and you go a little further west to L.A. and 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 San Diego, where where there's a lot of talent. Look, I will say this. All I'm going to say, Chris, real quickly, I just want to chime in. I know Spencer wants to move on, but I just want to say the one thing I will say is I understand UNLV football is a speck in college football landscape. However, they play in one of the finest facilities in the country now and they have one of the finest workout facilities yeah but but brian brian no brian brian none of none of that matters though because if they're not putting kids no brian listen listen if they're not putting kids in the nfl and they're not winning and playing in bowl games you could you could you could have a rolls royce if you're not exactly. if you're not winning and you're no, not putting I, I kids in the Chris, NFL, Chris, kids I'm, aren't going to come Brian, here. It's a great stadium, though. Yes, yeah, they do I'm, play not, a great I'm stadium. not disagreeing with you. I'm saying that UNLV has the formula to become successful and put themselves on the map because of what they have to offer. Well, yeah, now it's it's there, but cool. you you have to go out and win. You've got to put kids in the NFL. Look yeah. at look at NFL rosters. How many UNLV players are in the is NFL? Time to start. Barry Odom hopefully will be that guy to get it started 
Yes, he hasn't recruited. I love it. it this far west, even close. It's going to be. It's a work in progress. Look, and and, and hopefully say, Barry has again, a pipeline to Texas. If he has a pipeline to Texas, no that's a to good me. start. It's not an excuse other than what UNLV is willing to pay a coach to not be able to start getting players to want to come to UNLV. But Spence, go ahead, man. I know you're you're dying to move us along. Yeah, Brian. I don't know if you you have time for one more no, second. I, I definitely want to talk some more. So keep going. <laughs> all right, all right. I I want to talk about well. Let's mention this. I'm going to mention this. I'm, I'm truthfully, I, I know Brian. Brian wants to get into it way more than I do, but it is. It's worth saying. And you know what? Actually, this 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 deserves this. Back this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. And th- this, I cannot deny. It's a fact. You know, V is ten and zero for the first time since 1990. This. Feels like a different team than the 1990 UNLV running Rebels. That is what I'll say. But no, I can't say it's not impressive. They've played 10 games. They've won 10 games, and they haven't lost any. No one can deny that. But I, I by the way, I went back and looked. So in that first 10 games in 1990, they beat two ranked teams. I was Michigan State and Princeton, and they won four divisional games in that in that 10 game winning streak. That's all I have to say. But the program is in a weird spot. I mean. I'm proud of Coach Kruger. I mean, he's the first guy who's done something significant for UNLV basketball, you know, since before I was there. They did nothing at all when I was there. And uh, it's easily the best results we've seen. And, I, and you know, since I went to college there, it just feels empty. Right now it does. Now, Brian has a different perspective, so I'm going to get to him in just a second. You know, I'm excited. I will say this. I'm excited they play Southern Mississippi, San Jose State, and San Diego State coming up. I think it's either it's next week and, like, going into the week after that. So that is where I'm going to start getting hyped. If they win those three games in a row, I, I'm a completely different person next week because those, for, for me, are the first real test. Now, they beat a Dayton team, a ranked team. Can't uh, say anything about that. But in division teams and another team that's good outside of the division, those are three wins that you tell me that, okay, I'm going to be in the front seat every single game for a new OB game at that point. Brian, what do you think? Spence, you know what I'm going to say is I was one of the biggest detractors. Chris and I sat and watched a game with another friend of ours, Brian Shapiro, you know, covering the game. And we were just shaking our head like, wow, we felt bad because we saw all these players come over in the portal, which is now just getting ridiculous. But I like it. I do like it. But um, but we saw all these players come over from big schools and thinking, wow, this is going to be a lot of fun. Like, I don't know who any of these guys are, but this is going to be a lot of fun with a couple of guys that, that, that came back. And they're winning, but it was just ugly watching them win. I mean, just, you know, struggling defending the perimeter, struggling penetrating and getting into the paint, struggling finishing, things we've seen all before from UNLV teams. What they did have is they had they had grit. They were diving for loose balls. They definitely showed determination. Uh, they were getting back on defense. So all those things were encouraging, but I just didn't see where scoring was going to come from. I didn't see where leadership was going to come from. I, I, I'm i going to be straight out honest with you. You know, I'm, I'm watching these games and, and I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Collins and, 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 and some of the guys on the squad and I, I'm, I'm not getting it. And, uh, you know, especially the, the main guy I'm, t- I'm talking about, you know, Kishan Gilbert. We're watching him in the first couple of games. He seemed like a cocky young guy that, that that needed to get humbled, and yet he continues to perform. Kruger continues to sing this guy's praises. And the bottom line, Spencer, back to what you said initially, they are 10-0. and 0. Now, granted, you're going to look at the schedule and you're going to look at some of these teams and you're going to say, Brian, please, high point? Who the hell are they, Pacific Life, Incarnate Word? I mean, stop it. But 
let's take a look at Dayton. Not Maybe not turning out to be the team they thought they were. They're one of the biggest teams in the country. But they were ranked as high as number 21 when UNLV beat them at home. I tried to give Dayton an excuse by saying the time zone. But then they went and played in a little tournament in California, and they beat the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Not a good team in the Big Ten. They'll, they'll be one of the bottom dwellers. But they are in the Big Ten. And now you got Washington State. Again, not a good team, an under 500 squad in preseason, which is something you never want to see from a Power 5 conference team. But yet, Washington State is in the Pac-12. Those are three quality wins, no matter how you slice them. Because the bottom line, are you telling me UNLV should be able to compete in the Pac-12 or the Big Ten? Come on now. They should not be able to compete in those games, but they are competing and they're winning. I don't care what echelon or what level the teams they're beating are, they're beating them. And that is the bottom line. Guys, it's all about winning. And right now they're 10-0. and 0. You've got to give them cre- credit. And you know, I love Coach Kruger. He has been a, all of us that have gotten to talk to him and meet him. What a good guy Kevin Kruger is. I love seeing him have the success. I'm excited to get back and see another game because Chris Wynn, They've got to be better than what I saw the last time I saw them on the floor, right? They are, but let's make no mistake about it, guys. Right, Wiz and Mags and Brian? The only similarity between the 1990 team that was 10-0 <laughs> and the 10-0 team here in 2022 is they both have UNLV on their jersey, all right? That's let's so not get crazy <laughs> about it. Uh, yes, the three marquee wins here in 2022 are the game that you guys mentioned, the Dayton game. Obviously, the Minnesota Golden Gophers game, a bottom-tier team in the Big Ten. And then, of course, they win yesterday against the likes of the Washington State Cougars, who have a couple nice players. They've got, you know, Dennis Rodman's son is on that team. And they they gutted out a nice, you know, 74-70 win. Behind uh, the, the aforementioned, as Brian talked about, uh, Keyshawn Gilbert and uh, and also Harkless combining for 45 in that game yesterday. And we're able to get some contributions uh, from other key guys, Milwaukee and some others. And uh, we're able to show out against, look, a Pac-12 team. But they have not played some kind of gauntlet of a schedule yet. So we just don't know what this team is going to be all about. Kevin Kruger even alluded to that, said, look, there's we're still in the process of kind of figuring out what we're going to be as a basketball team. And Let's be straight about it, too. We're still trying to figure out Kevin Kruger, what he's going to be as a coach. He is in the infancy of his head coaching career, guys. And so, yes, they're 10-0. You can only beat who is in front of you on your schedule. So I get that. But to what Wiz alluded to, I'm going to be very interested to see what they do in conference and against the likes of some of the other teams they're going to be playing against. But, uh, yeah, to, to start talking about them, look, I mean, we, we just watched it in a game against Washington State yesterday, and then, you know, a matter of 30 minutes later on the same court, you saw two top 15 teams that are going to be pegged for March Madness and can, you know, really make some noise when it comes to a Final Four in Arizona and Indiana. So, I mean, is, is UNLV on a level of teams like that? Absolutely not. So it, it's still the jury is still out, guys, as to how good this basketball team is. And until they're not, you know, consistently playing in the play in game in the Mountain West tournament or right around it, right at one or two in the afternoon, uh, you know, when it comes when the Mountain West tournament rolls around come March, then UNLV fans are not going to be happy. So that they, they're, they're going to be expecting more. And I think even us in the media expect more out of this program. And we'll see if Kevin Kruger and the guys can get that done. 
I All love right. the attitude and the respect. I was just going to say real quickly, Spencer, yeah. I just love the attitude and the respect that we are saying, show me. You know, hey, we're pre- we appreciate the ten and zero start. It's tremendous, but you know what? We're not we're not jumping on and putting on our UNLV gear yet. Show me in the next couple of weeks, as Spencer mentioned, San Francisco. I think is a very winnable game, but Southern Missis- Southern uh, Mississippi on Thursday, and then you know San Jose State. But then they've got San Diego State. You've got New Mexico, who has really improved this year and going to be tough. And then Boise. So we're going to see in the next two weeks what this team has made of Spence. Yeah, and I just I really want to jump over because I didn't get enough time to talk about it last week. Uh, so I have to see what happens with UNLV basketball. But I mean, obviously, you got to talk about the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. You know, Raider Nation, rise up! Oh you boy, know, I, I don't know what's worse. I don't know losing to a high school head coach or losing to someone who was picked up off of the waiver wires the day before the game in Baker Mayfield. I I can't tell you, and it's so funny. You know, so many people text me after Raiders games because they know I'm a diehard fan. And they ask me what my reaction is to these games. And they think I'm, they're going to get a large reaction out of me. But it's just not going to happen. I've like Since I've been born, I was five when they went to the Super Bowl. So since I've really been watching football, this has been a bottom three team in the NFL. So how and why would I get worked up over a loss that I've seen for almost 25 years now of my life? This is what they do. So it doesn't surprise me that they do this. This is one of the most dysfunctional franchises in all the major sports in the country. They've done nothing in my lifetime. So am I going to be upset that Baker Mayfield blows them out? Yeah, it bums me out because I want them to win. But at this, at the end of the day, is it going to ruin my day? No, because this is what the Raiders do. They're a bad football team and they take bad losses. What's so surprising about that? Why does everyone get so worked up over a bad football team. I don't. It's just, I watch them. I'm going to watch them for the rest of my life. And hopefully my kid gets to see them be successful because I probably won't as long as the team is functions the way that it is now. But like I said, no surprises. The, the biggest problem, and we're, we got to talk about Derek Carr. You know, obviously he had like one of the worst games. He's just garbage a lot of the times. I think he flips a coin. My theory that I tell everybody is that he flips a coin when he goes out of the tunnel. If it's heads, he plays well. If it's tails, he plays like he plays terribly. <laughs> Because it seems to work that way. But we'll, we'll talk about all of that. But, I mean, the, the one thing I want to talk about in that game, I mean, Patrick Graham has got to go. It, it, why they ever got rid of Gus Bradley? The guy goes to the Colts and now mans one of the best defenses in the NFL. Again, he had the most improved Raiders defense I've seen in my lifetime. And they get rid of him as soon as Joshua Daniel gets in the door. He gets replaced by Patrick Graham, who plays, who calls a press coverage single high safety almost every play of the game on the last drive. That is the worst thing that you could possibly do for a team that can only win with a touchdown and they give it up. It's And they also have a rookie corner on the best wide receiver for the Rams on that touchdown play. It's unacceptable. Patrick Graham, you can say whatever you want about his scheme. He's one of the worst defensive play callers I've ever seen in my entire life. I hope this guy, I don't know why he stalls a job. I pray every single day that this guy is not on the Raiders. I don't wish anything bad about him personally. I just hope that he never coaches another game for the Raiders in my lifetime. Oh, that's outstanding, Spencer. I got to tell you. Um, you, you, we need to recruit you to be Detroit Lions fans. I need more Lions fans to sound like you. They're all in denial now. When I had Jacksonville on the schedule as a win in preseason. So, I mean, I'm just not, I'm sorry. I'm not jumping on an under 500 bandwagon right now and talking about what might happen in the future and down the road. And my middle name being a Detroit Lions fan, 
Brian, wait until next year, Feldman. I'm done waiting till next year. 60 years of it, we're through with that. But, uh, Spencer, to the Raiders and to your point, I understand, and I'm not going to disagree with you on Patrick Graham, but understand when a new head coach comes in, and I know you understand and know this, they bring in their own regime. Coordinators are almost always replaced when a new head coach comes in. That's the way it works, and I'm not disagreeing with you at all. Patrick Graham, to me, has been unimpressive and that's probably putting it as nicely as I can be. But again, you know, I, I, you know, you go back to, you talked about Baker Mayfield. It doesn't surprise you. Baker Mayfield became John. We just saw the drive against the Raiders. It was John Elway, but he was dressed as Baker Mayfield. That shouldn't happen. I, you know, I don't care who's your defensive coordinator. That's on the players too. You know, it, it is, it is unbelievable that something like that can happen. And, and, and I, and you can't get used to that Spencer. I, I, I'm still not used to it as a Lions fan and I'm a lot older than you. I don't get used to losses like that. They repulse me and they make me sick. And I think that's what happened to every Raiders fan. It's like the pit of your stomach. Like you've got food poisoning. Your stomach is just upset all day after that. Now that I am used to being a Lions fan. I've went many nights on a Sunday with, without having dinner because I just couldn't eat. And, and this is one of those games that just should not have happened. For all practical purposes, it ended the Raiders' season, and it should because uh, this this is bad. And unfortunately, as far as Derek Carr goes, Spencer, you can talk, we can talk about him all day long until the cows come home. The bottom line is Derek Carr is not the guy that is going to lead this team to the promised land. Some of those these interceptions and those passes, that last one was – who was he throwing to, Spencer? You in Las Vegas? <laughs> I mean, oh, my God in heaven. That's all I've got to say. The Raiders, I can say nothing positive other than – Tomorrow's another day and there will be another year. That's about it, which is what I say about the Lions, regardless of how good all you think they are out there. They're improved. But be a Lions fan. Win in the playoffs, and then I'll start talking positively about them. Not until then. Show me. I got one minute. I'm sorry, Chris, because I got to get to the scooper, but you got one minute. I want to hear your thoughts. No, no, I'll make a quick comment. Look, uh, by the way, Wiz, making it sound like me and uh, Brian Feldman and maybe even Mag, too, like old geezers. And you're five years old when the Raiders were in that 2002 Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, we were a little, we were just a tad bit older there. But uh, I got to say, Wiz, sounding a lot like a Detroit Lions fan circa sea win back around 1979, 1980. <laughs> With, uh, with your comments regarding the Raiders. Look, the Raiders, it's a lost season, obviously, since uh, you know they go down to uh, a Baker Mayfield-led Rams team on Thursday night. It's uh, time to uh, figure out what's going to happen with this team going into 2023 and uh, with Josh McDaniels, who's going to be at the helm next season. We'll see exactly what the Raiders Oh, yeah, he do. definitely will. All right, we got to jump over to the scoop. We're bringing everybody on. There's a five-person overlay, okay? The scooper. Beautiful. Last week was a little bit weird for you. Definitely a little bit weird, okay? Because uh, a tie in the Washington game, you want to take the money. Yes. Line, smart. It was a minus two line. The uh, parlay, I don't believe, worked out. I think you took the Jets, but that's okay. We're going to get back Correct. on track today. What do you got for us in the pick and parlay for this week, scooper? Want to start things off by wishing my little boy a happy birthday. It's his first birthday today. Austin Atlas, thank you. Um, for today, we're going to go with the uh, Buffalo Bills as the uh, best bet. This uh, Mike White for the Jets, he has some drastic splits in man versus zone. And this, and he really needs play action to get a lot of his stuff set up. This Bills defense is starting to get healthy. And I think this is just a really tough matchup for a Jets team that's trending in the wrong direction. So we're going to go with the Bills minus 10 is the best bet. For the parlay, we're going to do a money line parlay. We're going to go Bills money line, Philadelphia Eagles, 
and the San Francisco 49ers. $100 pays you about $140. All right, sounds good. That is the pick and, uh, pick and parlay with the scooper. We got to go. I want to thank the scooper, Chris Wynn, Brian Feldman, who will be back next week, and our producer, Chris Magnum Chapman. We're here every time Sunday from 8 to 9. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>